Thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you, God, that you rule and reign. Thank you that you are sovereign over all things. Thank you for sending your son to live and to die for your people, each and every one of your people, bringing a sure salvation. And thank you, God, for sending your spirit who gives life and who leads and guides and uh, is our guarantee for the inheritance that you have for your people. God, in our hour here, would you be magnified? Would you be glorified? Would our hearts be drawn to you in worship and thanks, even as we spend time uh, learning and knowing more about your Holy Spirit? We pray all in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome or welcome back uh, to our short study of a big topic. Uh, that is the Holy Spirit, a big person. He's not, he's not just a topic. Um, just as a, as a quick uh, reminder of where we've been, and all of these things are available for you at the church website um, under the sermons uh, tab. We spent the first week talking about the person of the Holy Spirit, the second week uh, talking about the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, uh, our third week uh, speaking of the Holy Spirit uh, as he worked through the prophets, primarily in the Old Testament, through the apostles, primarily in the New Testament. And then last week, we spent our time on regeneration, uh, this moment in time where the Spirit gives life. And today, where we spent last week talking about a moment in time of regeneration, we are talking today about really all of the Christian's life from that point forward uh, in terms of what we, have, we would call progressive sanctification and how the Holy Spirit is part of that. And so I have for you just a couple references, and I, I will read those uh, so you can, you can see the difference or how these work together. We looked at John 6, 63 last week, which, which says very clearly, it is the Spirit who gives life the flesh is no help at all, or says, it profiteth nothing, in Russ's Bible. Um, and, uh, and so the, the, the point there is, new life is the Spirit's job, period. Uh, there's, there is nothing that we can do, there's no arm twisting we can do of people that we love or of ourselves to bring new life. We, we, can, we can put the word in front of people and, and teach and, and, and persuade with, with true things, but, but it is only the Spirit who gives life. Today, Philippians 2, 12 and 13 shows us a contrast uh, with that particular event. So Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so, um, as opposed to regeneration, this moment in time that is the monergistic or, or singular work of the Holy Spirit, and, and in that John 6 passage we looked at, there, there were no commands. It was just, this is the way it is. Here, in Philippians, there are, there are commands for the believer to do things even as the Holy Spirit is empowering in fact, even giving the desire to do those things. And so, in a sense, this is a synergistic or cooperative work. Uh, by no means a 50-50, but, but there is work for the believer to do in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, the way we are going to attack this today is uh, will we'll not be comprehensive or exhaustive, <laughs> if there's a difference between those two words. There is. But we have three, uh, three bits, uh, key concepts, I'll call them, and key passages that we're going to spend some time in each of them uh, that, I, that I think will help us to see what the Holy Spirit is doing and has done in the life of a believer and... Uh, yeah, we'll see how we end up, and, uh, and there will be, uh, next week will be a little bit of a follow-on to, to what we're doing here today, but more of a focus on the Holy Spirit in the church, so sort of a half-step back from the individual believer. Um, you can't draw a strong line, right, because the church is made up of individual believers, right, so we wouldn't expect the work of the Holy Spirit in the group, in the body of the believers to be that different than in the individual. But that's our, that's our approach today, is, is three big concepts and three big passages. So, if you haven't already, would you turn to Ephesians 1 with me? Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, is our target for the moment. You maybe have already heard that <clears throat> Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14 is one big sentence, sort of one big breath of Paul and the Holy Spirit. And we're just going to look at the, the very last bit of this, but, but that entire paragraph, as two paragraphs actually as it is in the ESV here, um, lists out the blessings that God has already poured out much of this is past tense, is already poured out upon the believer. And our focus in verses 13 and 14 then goes like this. In him, that is in Christ, in Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Um, so here, I'll point out again, in, in those two verses, we have no commands. Paul is not telling the Ephesians what to do. Uh, or, or what they lack, or, or what, you know, what to chase after. He's, he's continuing to proclaim to them 
uh, the blessings that have been poured on them. And specifically now, he is describing something that has happened at the moment of conversion. So um, part, of, part of this thing where the, the, the believer is regenerated and one of, you know, the first breath of the believer is a cry of faith and repentance, and attached to that, uh, we have this sealing with the promised Holy Spirit. But before we dive to that, I want you to see the inextricable link between what's been promised here or what's been declared and the link to Christ and to the Scripture, right? So look again at the beginning of verse 13. There are these triggering events or these preceding events. Um, In Christ also, when you heard the word of truth, when you heard the gospel, of your salvation and believed, right? Then you were sealed. So the, the, the point here is that this is, this is connected with um, belief, with faith, and faith that comes in Christ but is connected to the Scripture. It's a, it's a basic concept, but it's an important one that we never want to sort of just see faith and belief as just this floaty thing out here. It's connected to Christ by the Scripture, because that's where we learn of God. A couple examples of this, you can uh, keep your marker or finger in um, Ephesians 1, and head back to Acts with me, if you would. Acts 16 Verse 14, so very quickly, just just to to see this working itself out, Acts 16, verse 14, Uh, this is uh, Paul in Philippi, and I'll read verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So there is the proclamation of the word, the work, here ascribed to the Lord of opening the heart, and belief comes. And and that Lord opening the heart, we will find elsewhere is attributed directly to the Holy Spirit. Go back to the left, maybe... um, Two pages or so, Acts 13, 48. We see um, a similar thing. Uh, this is Paul preaching at uh, Pisidian Antioch. And uh, Gentiles' reaction was noted. And in verse 48, we read, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life, believed. So again, just the, we have this connection to the proclamation of the word, the moving of the spirit, and then belief. All right. We can head back to uh, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. So we know that this is, this is this, what has happened and what Paul's describing, but now he's 
saying more. He's, he's saying that, that the believer has been sealed with the Holy Spirit and uh, as a guarantee. So those are a couple of key words we want to understand. Um, so a seal, uh, maybe our best uh, example today is a notary public, right? If you've ever had to have a, who's a notary public in here? Not a single one. Okay, you're just, you just won't admit it because you know you'll be bombarded with people who need them. <laughs> but a notary public is all about uh, observing things and then applying their seal or their stamp. Um, it used to be an embossed thing, a you know, physical thing. Now they're just a, a stamp. But uh, to, to make this, to observe that the signature there is real and it's authentic and the document that has been signed is official. It's as official as you can get. So a seal um, back in the day that Paul's writing about wasn't a stamp or an embosser. Uh, it was a lump of wax and probably a ring, maybe a pendant or something. And so at the bottom of the document, uh, the king, the prince, the, the landowner, whoever it was that wanted to officially mark this drop a little candle wax on the document and then take that ring, that signet ring, press it in there and that mark uh, says to everyone who comes across this document, this is the real deal. Now, that should start to well up worship in your heart. We are that document and the Holy Spirit God has sealed us. He has put his stamp of ownership on the believer. He has declared, this one is mine, authentically, forever. That, that, should, that should well up worship in our, in our hearts. A guarantee, then, the second half of this. Um, we, have, we have our examples of this as well. Occasionally, some among us buy real estate. Right? We buy a home, we move, and uh, I don't know whether the term earnest money is still used. Uh, I see John's head and Frank's head going up and down, okay? But, but uh, earnest money, right, is a guarantee. I'm, I'm handing you some percentage of the money for this entire transaction as a promise that I'm going to pay all of it Sometime, eventually, according, according to the agreement that we have, right? Um, so it is a pledge, a down, a down payment, uh, a, a, an earnest uh, payment that um, declares that the rest is coming. You can be sure of it. You can be as sure of it as the person who's making that promise, right? Okay. So who's, who's made that promise that the Spirit is the guarantee? God, the Father. So we can be as sure of that guarantee as, as, as far as we trust God. <laughs> yeah, there's no end to that, right? This should well up worship and praise in our hearts as well. In fact, we use uh, the same idea even in our, uh, the classical 
uh, wedding ring vows, right? This ring I give to thee as token and pledge, right, of, my, of our constant faith and abiding love, right? So we, we have this built into uh, our, our very uh, wedding ceremonies, uh, and we use the ring as, as this, we speak of it as a pledge. Um, so... This is what the Lord has done, and it is great, uh, because he has sealed us with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we take full possession of it. This thing is done, but it's not realized, right? It's, it's done, and it is waiting for us in the heavenly places, and, and it will not be taken away or diminished uh, or somehow jerked out from under our feet. Uh, the Lord knows his and keeps his. And part of this is the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit uh, with us. Okay. So this <clears throat> is God's kindness to us. It is assurance it is encouragement, it is strength, because God knows how quickly we forget. God knows how easily we doubt and we wonder. And we start to look at the circumstances of our lives uh, and just wonder if God isn't really any more faithful than I am. And that's a problem then, right? But God, who is... Uh, ever faithful reminds us that our salvation is not rooted in me keeping me. It, it is rooted in him keeping me. And we're all thankful for that. I'm, I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Okay. All right. There are other passages there that I just leave uh, with you uh, for, for other study, if you so desire. They, they touch on this same topic of the Spirit as, as seal and guarantee, um, but we need to move on to the next one, which is the filling of the Holy Spirit, or being filled with the Holy Spirit, to uh, get our prepositions proper. So we're in Ephesians, just uh, head on over to Ephesians 5. Verses 15 to 21. Let me read that. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the times, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what the, will of the Lord, what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Okay. This uh, passage comes in the, under the banner of Ephesians 5.1, where God calls us to be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. And he is now, Paul is now moving through uh, a series of commands that are all in alignment with imitating God and walking in love. And uh, every one of the you's here, Y-O-U, right, are plural. Huh. In the whole chapter, every one of those are plural. So he's talking to the body. Even as he's speaking to individuals, he's talking about how we relate one to another. How is it that I should relate with Emilio or with John or others? What, what should, how should I imitate God even as we relate one to another? And so this is, it's helpful as we go uh, through this to remember. I suppose that if uh, Paul had been writing to a church in southern Asia Minor, he might have used all y'all, but it's just, it's just, we just have you and we have to go back to see that the you is indeed plural. So, um, so let's walk through uh, this passage just a little bit at a time. F verses 15 through 17, I want to draw your attention to the intentionality with which Paul is uh, speaking and calls us to. He's calling us to look carefully, that is to walk carefully He's calling us to be wise, to redeem and improve the time, and to understand the Lord's will. So all of this is driving at a life that has purpose and direction, right? It's, it's not just, well, I, I, I jumped in the, the raft and I'm just floating on down uh, the river, wherever it goes, there I go, and that's okay, it'll all be fine, uh, which it, it just might be, but that's not what uh, Paul is, is talking about here. He's talking about care and attention to details uh, in, in the life of the believer, where we have our mind and our will and our emotions not only under our self-control that the Lord gives, but, but focused, right, and, and directed. Um, okay, so that's our verses 15 to 17. <clears throat> Verse 18 then uh, gives us this, this interesting parallel. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Right, this classic negative parallelism. Don't do this, do this, right? Um, and uh, so we, it would be good to understand what, what we can grab from, from this verse. Um, they, they are uh, clearly parallel. It's even more obvious in the Greek, just in terms of the structure of, of these two verbs. Don't get drunk, and, but be filled. <clears throat> uh, 
they're, uh, they're actually passive imperatives, which is an interesting thing to ponder. But uh, anyway, it, it, in the first place, so what's he talking about? In the first place, our mind would immediately go to control. Um, uh, though the drunk may not be convinced of it, uh, he has given up control and he's given up freedom. He, he thinks that he's free, but what he's really done is he's exchanged any modicum of self-control that he might have uh, to just to and given surrendered that all to his baser uh, instincts, right? And he's he is a at that moment a slave to those those instincts. But there's more than just control. You know, so 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 you could say, well, then Paul says, you know, be be controlled then by the Holy Spirit. That would that would be fair, but there's more from first century Ephesus that we can learn here that's not necessarily immediately available. So <clears throat> Ephesus um, was, still is actually, famous for their temple to Diana, but in addition to that, uh, there was at this time um, fairly popular pagan worship of a god named Dionysus, god of the vine. So you can, okay, all right, I get it, right? We know what grows on vines, right? And uh, so uh, without going into unnecessary detail, uh, Dionysian worship really was just a drunken frenzy. It was, it, was, it was just off the scale. And the part of what that, those pagan worshipers were seeking was a connection with the divine, they were seeking a connection with the God of the vine, with a communion with. They, you know, that they, the idea was that there was some ecstatic something that happened, and they were communing with God of the vine. Now, go back to verse 18 and read it again. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. That's not connection and communion. But be filled with the Spirit. Ah, so how am I connecting and communing with the true God of the universe is through the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's helpful uh, to see. A note here is that, that Paul is not necessarily um, accusing the Ephesians of taking part in this or even approving of it, but they were certainly aware of it, and so it's a helpful uh, context that he can use. Okay. So let's move on to verses 19 to 21, uh, the effects of being filled with the Spirit. We'll come back and we'll talk more specifically about, okay, well, what, how, does, how does one get filled with the Spirit? Where's, where's the filling station? All right, we'll come back to that in just a bit. But in the meantime, the effects of this, of uh, verses 19 through 21, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So there's song, song in our hearts, joy in our hearts. Even as we sing one to another and to God from our hearts is, is one effect of filling of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, thanksgiving, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we see 
a, a good formula for you to think on, right? So we give thanks and we praise to the Father in Christ and through the Spirit, right? To the Father in Christ and through the Spirit. Yeah. It is, it's just flipped from the, the way that we receive uh, things from the Father in Christ and through the Spirit. Yeah. So if you want to think about how, how do I relate to the one God and to the three persons of the Godhead, those are helpful prepositions. Okay. And finally, verse 21 um, there it is, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, Paul's still talking about relationships here. And he's, so he's talking about humility. So these, these three big categories, verses 19, 20, 21. Song, right, a joyful heart, thanksgiving, and humility. These, these are effects of being filled with the Spirit. Okay, so now we, we come to what I would mentioned earlier. What, how, do, how do we... How do we get there? Right, so what, what does that mean? And uh, what we need to do is, is head to Colossians 3 because this will help us. It's uh, two books to the right. Colossians 3, verses 16 and 17. I'll read those. Colossians 3, verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This would be a lovely time for a PowerPoint slide to just put up the parallel between Colossians 3, 16, and 17. I guess I had enough blank space on the paper. I could have done that for you, but you get the point, right? Um, Paul is writing about the same thing. And in Ephesians, he's talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Colossians, he's talking about letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And this is help for us to know. What, is, what does Paul mean by filling, being filled with the Holy Spirit? And uh, it really is simply to be saturated with the Scripture. Um, not, I'm not talking about just you know, memorizing and being ready to uh, answer a bunch of questions, but to love the Word of God, and to let the Word of God dwell in you in such a way that you might think about dwelling with your spouse, that, that, that you invite the Word of God to teach you, to change you, to affect every bit of your life, that you submit your life to the Word of Christ. And uh, that is synonymous with the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because after all, what is, what is one of the main things that the Spirit has done in the history of the church? He's given us the Word of Christ, right? Yeah, 
Uh, MacArthur, in his study Bible, if you have a MacArthur study Bible, you can read right along with me at Colossians 3.16, his note, which is great. In Ephesians 5, the power and motivation for all the effects is the filling of the Holy Spirit. In Colossians 3, it is the word richly dwelling. Those two realities are really one. The Holy Spirit fills the life controlled by his word. This emphasizes that the filling of the Spirit is not some ecstatic or emotional experience, I'll add, though it might be emotional, it does not devoid of emotion, but a steady controlling of the life by obedience to the truth of God's Word. Um, so this is, this is, I think, great help for us. And, again, should cause us to thank the Lord, right? Because He has given us everything for life and godliness. Yeah. In His Word, which then is synonymous with being filled with the Spirit that just permeates every bit of our lives. Yeah. Um, two quick notes uh, on this before we go to the, the third uh, key passage. Uh, this filling with the Spirit, um, not the same thing as the baptism in the Spirit, which we'll talk about just a little bit more next week, but really is, is, uh, speaks of the, the new believer's unity um, with other believers. Uh, nor does, is this the same as the indwelling uh, of the Spirit, though obviously it's, it's related. Um, but uh, those two things, the baptism of the Spirit and the indwelling of the Spirit, are things that just propositionally God does with the new believer. Here, we are, we are called, we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. This is something that in the Spirit's power we do, we're called to do. Okay, a second quick note. Um, it's good to see in both Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 that, that these sections are followed immediately by more specific and detailed instructions for husbands, for wives, for fathers, for children, for employers, for employees. So if you're looking, if you're looking for very practical uh, application uh, for life, being filled with the Holy Spirit may seem a little fuzzy or letting, even, even letting the, the word of Christ dwell richly in my life may seem, I don't even exactly know how to do that, but just on the heels of this, Paul goes immediately into giving us some of the word of Christ for being a father, for being a husband, for being an employee, okay? So there's a place where you could start. There's a, there's a, you know, there's a little sentence that are where I could take the word of Christ and cause it to dwell richly in my life. Yeah, so, okay. Third chunk, and then uh, we will be done for the day. Galatians 5. <clears throat> Turn to Galatians 5, verses 16 to 26, if you would. If you've been here all along, you've probably been waiting. Okay. When are you going to teach about the fruit of the Spirit, Rod? Well, here we are. This is, this is 
is what we have today. But before we go there, I want to I talk about the backdrop very briefly. So, so I actually turn back a page to Galatians 3, uh, verses 2 and 3, so that we can get the, the context here. Paul has been arguing all along for reminding the Galatians that their salvation was not started, nor is it sustained by circumcision or by their Mosaic law-keeping in any way, but by faith in Christ. So Galatians 3, 2 and 3, he, he says, Let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And of course, the answer is no. No, we're not. And then uh, at the very beginning of Galatians 5, uh, Paul continues uh, reminding the Galatians of their freedom in Christ. Verses 1 through 5, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And Paul knew um, the Galatians' uh, tendency, along with our own, to conflate freedom with license. Right? Oh, freedom. Great. Right? So he wants to clarify for us what freedom means for the believer. So we're, we're sneaking up on, on our passage here, but... But now, uh, chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. But you, for, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Right, so Paul tells us we are free in Christ to serve one another. He's talking again about how we relate in the body of Christ to one another. Right? So I'm not, I'm not free <clears throat> to serve myself, uh, to give pleasure in my own life in any way that I wish, but I am free to actually serve others in a way that without the Spirit, I'm, not, I'm, I'm actually just not free to do. Um, so that brings us to our passage. Okay, so verses 16 through 26. But I say, oh, yeah, before we dive in, again, remember, this, right, this is, again, He's talking about relationship, how we relate one to another, right? So, yeah, the connection there. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. 
for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Okay. We could have spent the whole hour on this passage. We're going to spend 10 minutes on it. <laughs> okay. Um, the verbs that were called to do in relationship to the Spirit, see these that were called to walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, uh, verse 18. Um, verse 25, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. All of this, oddly enough, is, is still even though it's a different letter, uh, talking about imitating God. When, when, when you're walking along and you ask somebody to, you know, you've got a little kid, keep up, you know, keep up, keep in step with me, right? You're asking for an imitation. You're asking for, or, or commanding, follow. Follow me, right? So, so this is the, the big picture here of, of one of following, of imitating Right, the things of the Spirit, the actions of the Spirit, the things that we see God doing, we're called to imitate His character. The verbs also have a strong sense of continuing action. I think the, the, uh, there's a note somewhere on this page about the NAS using the word uh, practice, if you practice these things, right, rather than just do uh, them. So it's talking about continuing action, that this walking is not uh, just a snap decision, okay, I got, glad I have that done. But this is in the same way that we think about the word of Christ dwelling in us richly, we think about walking and following the Spirit as part of our meat and drink every day and in every way. Okay. These are opposed, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, or the desires of the Spirit are opposed diametrically to the desires of the flesh. Um, and uh, Paul puts forward in verse 18 a, uh, a great statement, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. It's a great encouragement for us. It is also a, a strong challenge 
that he essentially says, go ahead, make your choice. Would you, would you like to find your righteousness in keeping the Mosaic law? Well, you, you are responsible for every jot and tittle. Good luck, right? Um, or he says, faith in Christ, including his righteousness, releases you from the, the curse of the law. I mean, this is the gospel um, hope that we have, a sure hope in God. Okay, verses 19 to 21, we won't spend much time on the, the works of the flesh, but just to see that they are grouped generally in things that are sexual or worship-oriented or related to our human uh, relationships. There is a dire warning uh, there given. Oh, and there's our verb do, verse 21, right. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's one of these ongoing verbs where I think the NAS says those who practice uh, such things. So lest you, uh, with a tender conscience, think, I've done one of those sins, and think that God has just thrown you into the trash heap, right? Uh, God is not seeking uh, to only save perfect people, right? This is, this is a discussion of where the, the, the character and nature, the regular pattern of a person's life uh, are these things. Okay, which gets us to verse 22. Um, fruit, singular. One church, one body, one spirit, one fruit. Many manifestations, but um, yeah, one vine, right? So one fruit, yeah. Uh, let's very briefly head through these uh, nine. Love, uh, not a mushy emotional feeling, but decision, right? A decision is self-sacrifice for the benefit of others. Again, see these in terms of how we relate one to another. Joy. Um, certainly, part of it is that my joy is grounded in Christ, but it's also asking me, how do I relate? How does, does that joy well up in me, and am I joyful to be around, or am I Eeyore more often? Uh, amongst my brothers and sisters, particularly when asked to serve and to bless others. All right, peace. Uh, having known peace with God, we seek to live at peace one with another. Patience. I want patience, Lord, and give it to me now. <laughs> All right? Um, and so this is, it's long-suffering. This is, this is enduring with uh, trials with people, even as they uh, are long-suffering towards you, right? Kindness, a tenderness uh, toward uh, others and their welfare, actually caring, actually caring. Goodness, which is to seek what is the very best for the other. Maybe not what is most convenient, 
Uh, and it might not even be what they think is the very best. Right? Again, this, you will, these things you will learn as the word of God dwells richly in you. What is, what is the best? Faithfulness, right? trustworthy and loyal, dependable. Um, gentleness, a, a humble attitude that's patiently submissive in every offense. No, no seeking revenge or retribution or demanding uh, my own pound of flesh. And self-control, uh, which is just a, a restraint uh, upon my own desires for the benefit of others. Okay, verses 24 to 26 then. Uh, 24 particularly. Let me read that verse again. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so Paul gives us a clear direction. If you imagine the works of the flesh over here on a list, and you imagine the fruit of the Spirit over here on the list, and, and, and you're uh, working with somebody who believes, you know, my life is really just, it's characterized by this. This is one of those cases where uh, the straight line is not the shortest path between two things because Christ is the only way to go from here to here. So uh, as, as you counsel or disciple or evangelize an unbeliever or, or even see this maybe in your own heart that, hey, you know, maybe, I just, maybe I'm not saved, cleaning up your life while it might keep you out of jail um, and uh, make it, you know, easier on everybody at family reunions uh, is, is not a salvific thing, right? It's only for those, verse 24, who belong to Christ, who have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Okay. Um, all right. So this as well... Um, should draw us up to worship and to thank God. Um, that, that we, I'm looking at the, the third point right above the, the song. I just want to read that third bullet. We thank God that we who are in Christ are no longer under the curse of the law, but are free to serve one another through love because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And we ask for greater and more regular evidence of the Spirit's fruit in our lives as a testimony to God's greatness in saving sinners. Yeah. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you for these passages and thank you for your Holy Spirit um, who is a seal and a guarantee who fills the believer through an obedient life, the word who, uh, whose fruit is evident in a life that is surrendered to you. God, we, we know that these things are from you and to you, and we ask, God, that you would make them uh, more so abundantly in our lives each day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.